Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening, and welcome to Tri-State at the Plate. I'm your host, Andy Burdick, joined today by the big red machine of our podcast, Bob Finkbeiner. Bob, how are you this morning? Oh, very good. Glad to be here once again. Yeah, we got the early morning podcast going again, so it's nice to be up at our, our usual time. I call this, I am now on an old man schedule, so in your 20s, your schedule is sleeping late, stay up late. Or stay up late and sleep in late, I guess, depending on how you view that. Either way, you are sleeping in late and staying up late. And now that I'm in my 30s, the schedule is totally turned on and said, go to bed early, wake up early. Yes. That's how it is. Six o'clock today, just woke up. No good reason. Just had, just had to wake up at six o'clock. So, You're uh, just a creature of habit now. I, I guess so. This is probably a good habit to be in, though, because I think uh, this kid that we're about to have, I, oh, yeah. From from what I've collected, babies don't tend to sleep in, I guess. Or much at all, really, <laughs> from what I've talked to people about. So, yeah, I don't know. We're, we're going to see how it goes. Uh, either way, we are recording in the morning. So uh, you'll probably be listening to this uh, either late morning or early afternoon. Or maybe on your commute to work. I don't know when you're listening, I guess. But whenever you're listening, thanks for joining us. That's what we're trying to get to. So uh, today we're going to be talking about the Pirates. We're going to talk a little bit about the Indians. Really quickly, we'll touch on the Sea Wolves. But before we get all to any of that, Bob, there's something that uh, that we have to address, which is that Barry Bonds is feeling quite contrite nowadays. <laughs> have you have you seen Barry Bonds trying to rehab his reputation? Yes, I did. I thought it was laughable. Now I'm I'm trying to. I, I have a lot of like really off the air true feelings about Barry Bonds. Uh, and I will say Barry Bonds, no matter how I feel about him at, at any particular instant in time, he makes me feel a lot of emotions, a lot of really complicated emotions. Uh, my earliest baseball memories are memories that have Barry Bonds in them. Um, and there are a lot of like positive memories. Like the Pirates were pretty good. when I When I first started watching baseball, the Pirates were pretty good, and Barry Bonds was a big part of that but he also makes me feel terrible uh empty and a lonely shell of a man and makes me pretty much feel like this is why we should just give up on humanity and the reason i feel like that is because barry bonds is quite possibly the most awful human being uh and this is all like documented stuff you can find this in in multiple places um from many legitimate sources. But Barry Bonds was a horrible human being to people when he played baseball. You could see it in his interviews. You could, uh, you know, read about it from people who saw him in the clubhouse or people who were, you know, teammates with him in the clubhouse. His interactions with the fans were <laughs> most of the time not very positive. And as we've documented on this podcast uh, in our interview with uh, New York Times bestselling author Jeff Perlman, he has no shortage of stories that talk about the complete insanity that is how Barry Bonds treated people. And it was it was awful. They are some pretty heartless stories, like Cruella DeVille, Disney villain character type stories. Like, stories that make you think Barry Bonds is a caricature of a person and not, in fact, a real person. But he is, Bob, and he treated people absolutely horribly. So, Barry Bonds, with all that said is now trying to rehab his image. And it's interesting to see. Have you read the article? I caught parts of it. 
So yeah, I mean it. I I saw the article on ESPN. Apparently, it was Barry Bonds did an interview with the website Sports on Earth. And are you are you familiar with that website? Yes, it's very very good. Yeah. Um. So he did an interview with with Sports on Earth, talking about the way that he was portrayed <clears throat> when he played, and he said, "quote Me, it's on me. I'm to blame for the way I was portrayed because I was a dumbass." I was straight stupid, and I'll be the first to admit it. Well, <laughs> that's a, I guess that's a start. I think, uh, you know, maybe when you realize how awful of a person that you are, maybe you can take steps towards growth. I don't know. <laughs> D- now, did you read further quotes into the, into this Bonds interview? No, I did not. Oh, they, it is just a rabbit hole of weirdness. Um, I mean, he talks a lot about how just terrible he was to people. And (laughs) it was kind of interesting hearing the (laughs) Bond's perspective of of how he came to have this type of personality. Because by all accounts, you're making millions of dollars playing a game. Like, everybody wants to like you. You know what I mean? Like, when you're a professional athlete, nobody wants to hate a professional athlete, really. Unless you're from, like, a fan for a rival team. Like, everybody wants to like you. And so this is what Bond said. Bond said, I'm not going to try to justify the way I acted toward people. I was stupid. It wasn't an image that I invented on purpose. It actually escalated into that, and then I maintained it. You know what I mean? It was never something that I really ever wanted. No one wants to be treated like that because I was considered to be a terrible person. You'd have to be insane to want to be treated like that. That makes no sense. So Bonds is saying that he invented the persona that was Barry Bonds, the guy who, you know, had his lounge chair in the clubhouse and (laughs) had like two lockers when everybody else only had one and just like all the outrageous stuff. But then also just, you know, the persona of just the way he treated people like just flat out awful to people but the the thing that kind of (laughs) it kind of stuck out to me as i you know continued to read the article was bond's perspective of how the rest of the world operates so how this real world functions he was talking about how (laughs) you know his teammates were kind of complaining about him and when he joined the San Francisco Giants, he had teammates that were pleading with him to try and change his behavior. And he said that because he tried to be a nice person, that he went into a slump. I kid you not, Bob. Here's his direct quote. I did change. I was nice, and I was saying hello to folks, and I was very calm. But I was like, oh, for 21. And, for the, and the first thing those teammates said to me was, we want the old Barry back. I said, yeah, but y'all don't like the old Barry. And they said, we don't care. We want the old Barry back. (laughs) I read that in kind of a ridiculous voice because I feel like that could be one of the most ridiculous things I've ever read in my entire life. Do you think that Jeff Kent asked for the old Barry back? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think I find it amusing to think about like, yeah, like Jeff Kent going, hey, Barry, we liked when you were kind of a jerk to everybody. (laughs) <laughs> Could you go back to behaving like that, please? Like, 0 for, 20, 0 for 21 is not that many games either. That's like 
a week's Six, worth of games. Yeah, yeah. A week's worth of games. <laughs> Barry Bonds basically said, I tried to be nice for a week and I couldn't hit. The fuel for Barry Bonds' success, we have learned from this interview, was hatred for other people. That's what made Barry Bonds great. He couldn't hit Bob when he tried to be nice to people. <laughs> Isn't that the most ridiculous thing that you've ever read? Is it just me? Or is it like, is no, that? I, I totally agree with that. That's just. It's so outrageous. It's outrageous. It's, <laughs> it's, outrageous. it's, it's comical. It seems like something that you would see in a Saturday Night Live skit. It does not seem like something that a rational, well-adjusted human being would say. I tried to be nice to people by saying hello and doing things <laughs> like that, and I suddenly couldn't do my job anymore. What? That makes no sense. But th So then it kind of starts to like, then you kind of get an idea of what professional athletes must be like and what their worldview's like when one of them says, I just tried to be a decent human being for a week and I couldn't do my job anymore. Like, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. But then it kind of, you know, like I said, it makes sense when you're being treated the way that they're being treated, and you make the money that they're making, and your whole worldview is, you know, this silly game that you play that millions of people are, you know, paying millions and hundreds of millions of dollars to watch. Like, then you kind of get it. You're like, oh, I get why they behave the way they do. But that, to me, that was the funniest thing. The article is up on ESPN.com. Uh, it's a fascinating article. I would strongly encourage anyone who has an interest with uh, Barry Bonds to uh, to go and read it. And I would also encourage those people to go listen to our interview with Jeff Perlman, um, the author of Love Me, Hate Me, a, a biography of Barry Bonds. Uh, it lends a lot of perspective to the, the whole picture that is Barry Bonds. Yes, it does. Weird, man. Weird, weird stuff. Any other thoughts on Bonds before we move on to real baseball now? No, it's it's just it's laughable. It's it's so comical. Like I read that and I just uh just shake my head. I'm I'm shaking my head right now. Nobody can see it cuz this is radio, but shaking <laughs> my head. I just don't I don't understand. That quote's so funny to me. Actually, I might put that quote on a t-shirt or something. I don't know. I was saying <laughs> I was nice and I was saying hello to folks. That's <laughs> That's Barry Bonds' idea of going out of his way to try and be a normal person. <laughs> Saying hi to people. Ridiculous. All right, you ready to talk about some baseball that matters? Yes. All right, let's talk about the modern-day Pittsburgh Pirates, not the 1992 Pirates that have caused me some very serious emotional scarring. Uh, although this team might be well on their way to causing me some serious really? emotional scarring, Bob. That's what we call a segue in the biz, by the way. <laughs> We just transitioned from one topic right to the next. The Pirates team ERA currently stands at 4.07 with a 4.55 FIP. So it could be worse, I guess. I don't know, Bob, if you know much about pitching, but a 4.07 ERA, not good. No. Not good. Especially when you compare it to like the last few years of the Pirates pitching. But... The fact that the, you know, like the FIP is even half a run higher, like that's that's kind of alarming too. Like we're kind of getting lucky that things aren't even worse. But I guess when you start breaking down the Pirates pitching woes, which I think, you know, like the Pirates offense producing a lot of runs. They're doing really well with the new lineup construction. Um, you know, at one point, like a few weeks ago, everybody in their lineup except for Andrew McCutcheon was hitting over 300. Um, the offense is firing on all cylinders. 
But with the pitching, when you start digging a little bit deeper, the Pirates are currently walking 3.74 batters per nine. Ooh. Yeah, that's fourth worst in all of baseball so far this season. Um, so again, just struggles in areas where the Pirates haven't struggled the last, you know, three or four years, um, particularly with the pitching. <clears throat> so then that got me kind of looking. And so the first thing I thought of when I was looking at these walks was, you know, like, oh, the, they're having issues with control. And then that kind of got me thinking about the hit by pitches. You know, the Pirates traditionally pitch inside. Hurdle says that that's part of their pitching philosophy is owning the inner half of the plate. So I went to go take a look at hit by pitches this year. The Pirates have hit 20 batters, which is a lot. Um, but when you look at it, it's the 12th most in baseball. The Red Sox are currently pacing the league with 29 hit batsmen. I think the, the real issue with the Pirates' desire to pitch on the inner half of the plate is that it's kind of led to some chippy games, which has brought some more attention to the actual philosophy of pitching inside. Right. So it's not necessarily like they're not they're not pacing the league. You know what I mean? Like the Red Sox have hit nine more batters than the Pirates, but nobody's talking about the Red Sox beanball wars. Mm-hmm. I think it's the fact that the Pirates are trying to own that inner half of the plate, so a lot of pitches are coming inside, maybe not necessarily hitting pitchers. Or the, you know, the players that they hit, you know, when the Pirates hit a player, a lot of times they're getting retaliated against because everybody knows that the Pirates pitch inside. But it's led to a lot of Pirates players getting hit in retaliation. And I don't know if we talked about it on the last podcast, but Starling Marte actually talked about how everybody hitting all of the Pirates players and him specifically has kind of changed his approach at the plate. You know, he said, like, I think after he got hit on the hand, uh, you know, he said, like, I'm not feeling comfortable standing in the box because I'm getting hit so much. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, the walks are bad, obviously. They're, they're walking way, way too many batters a game to, to keep this going all year and be successful. The hit-by-pitch is, like, not ridiculous. I mean, they're high, but not, like, leading the league. Um, so then I kind of started digging a little bit more and found the one thing that the Pirates do well as a staff is batters to beat the ball into the ground so they traditionally have like around a 50 percent ground ball rate they usually like last year they led the league with a 50 percent ground ball rate as a team well this year that ground ball rate is down about four percent so their fly ball rate is up about five percent from last year and as a result of that their home run to fly ball rate is up to 13 percent which is about 4% higher than it was last year. Last year it was up at 9.4% as a team. Um, So you can kind of see where a little bit of their struggles are coming from. You know, you're not keeping the ball on the ground as much. You're giving up more fly balls. And as a result of that, you're getting more pitches that are leaving the park. So all of that, you know, when when you're looking at it under the surface, I think those are some of the things that are contributing to Pittsburgh's pitching woes. Now, you can topically look at the Pirates and you can see, like if I just said to you, and you know, you're an Indians fan primarily, you watch a lot of Indians games, but if I said to you, which one of the starters in the Pirates rotation is struggling more than you would be expecting them to struggle? Like just off the top of your head, which starter do you think 
I would be telling or I would be talking about when I said there's one guy that's kind of struggling more than you would be expecting. Uh, <clears throat> initially, I thought it would be Jonathan Nice. I thought I, I thought they'd get more out of him right now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I got. Yeah. Would you expect Nice to be like your? When you look at John Nice, though, do you expect him to be like your top one or two starter? No, I'm thinking like a yeah. three, four. He's five. like your three, four starter, right? Yeah. So, you know, Nice is struggling, but it's not like a crippling type of struggling because you're not really counting on Jonathan Nice to. Like Jonathan Nice is basically to me like kind of like a new Jeff Locke, like a guy like I hope you can go out there and eat up some innings so you can save our bullpen a little bit. Right. Keep the ball on the ground. Try and keep it in the park the best you can. Let our defense work behind them. We have someone at the top of our rotation that's been struggling all season. And it's kind of surprising because he's been, for the most part, kind of an anchor in our rotation. And that starter is Francisco Liriano, who's been struggling ridiculously for the Pirates. If, and again, like you're probably not watching the Pirate stats you know, daily like I am. If I said Francisco Liriano struggling, what do you think his ERA is at? What would you say a struggling Liriano's ERA is at? For me and for him, I would say be struggling probably around the four and a half range. I was just in my head. I was like, I'd probably say four and a half. Liriano's ERA on the year. So we're in the beginning of June, mind you. Five point two five ERA. Ooh. Yeah. Right. That's some serious, some serious struggles. Ouch. Now, his FIP is 5.65, so again, close to about a half run worse, you know, without some good fortune behind him. His walks per nine, five and a half walks per nine. Oh, my, it's worse than Bauer. (laughs) Right? (laughs) 1.75 home runs per nine in 61 and two-thirds innings pitched this season. He's giving up nearly two home runs a game. Like, that's nuts. Two home runs per nine. That's that's crazy. So what's behind the struggles then of Liriano? Well, I don't know. I mean, when I every time I see Liriano go out and, and and have a difficult start, which has been more often than not this season, I think back to his injury history. And it doesn't look like that, you know, there's nothing crazy with his velocity. But at the beginning of the year, he did skip a start with a hamstring issue. And so it kind of has me wondering, is there maybe something in the lower half? Because you always hear about, and and so one of the areas, again, where Liriano's struggling, he's walking five and a half batters per nine. His control is non-existent. And so you hear people all the time say, you know, if something's not right in your lower half, that can affect how everything in the upper half of your mechanics functions, and that can lead to problems with control. Like, he had that hamstring injury early in the year, and it makes me wonder... Is it fully healed, or is this something that might be really affecting his mechanics? Now, Travis Sawchick reported after his start Friday that uh, Liriano stated that he was healthy. But you keep looking at these starts piling up, and it, it makes you really have to wonder if he is. You know, Kutch said the same thing last year. Kutch said, oh, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then at the beginning of this year, we find out, well, I wasn't 100% healthy last year. <laughs> you know what I mean? So... All season long last year, Kutch is saying, yeah, I'm all right. And all the fans are going, well, he says he's all right. And then you find out, well, he wasn't actually all right all season long. And I'm wondering if we're going to hear something similar about Liriano. No one, and I think with this Pirates team especially, no one wants to be the one that's dropping the ball. 
But I think maybe just a good two weeks off for Liriano, even if he is 100% healthy at this point, might be something to just kind of help get him back on track because these starts are getting tough to watch. Yeah, it's not putting him. It's not putting his team in a position to win games either. Right, that's the thing. I mean, Friday's game it was it was over before we had a chance to even <laughs> get in the game. You know what I mean? Like just behind the eight ball the first inning. Yeah. Um. So I. I don't know. I'm. I will. Won't be shocked if it comes out that Liriano hits the shelf. In the the next couple of days, my fantasy team would sincerely appreciate it too because. Man, I keep running him out there, and he just keeps butchering my ERA. So let's play a little bit of what if then. What if your prediction of Lerano hitting the DL <clears throat> comes true? Do we get one of the two <sighs> high prospects from AAA to take a spot? That's what I was just about to say. I think it could. <laughs> I mean, we're we're hitting June 5th, so we're getting like close to that Super 2 That's right. deadline. You know, it's not an exact number. It's kind of a moving target every year. But, I mean, I think if Liriano hits the shelf that you could be looking at Jameis and Talion's first start. I only say Talion before Glasnow because I think, number one, I've been watching a lot of Glasnow starts this year. Um, and the the thing that you notice with Glasnow, again, he's a huge, huge kid. He's like six foot seven. I mean, his his mechanics are still... They, they could use some refining. I When Neil Huntington says that they don't want to bring Glasnow up until they have some stuff worked on with him, like, I I get it. Like, I believe it. Because you can see, like his last start, uh, I forget who they were playing. Um, I, four or five walks, whatever it was. And... Yeah, yeah. I mean, he threw five innings, and they ended up getting, uh, there was you know a rain delay in the middle of the game, so they pulled him after the his five innings. But like the first batter of the game, it was like fastball in the dirt, fastball in the dirt, breaking ball in the dirt. And you could tell, like, oh boy, he just, you know, his control is just not there right now. Um so there's stuff like that that I think with with Glasnow, the Pirates are being sincere when they say he needs more time to develop. He needs to to work on this because you don't want to <laughs> you don't want to come up to Pittsburgh and your first start in PNC Park, your first four pitches are buried in the dirt. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But you know Talion, he's been absolutely stunning this season for a guy who hasn't basically played a full season of baseball since 2013. Jamison Talion is is having an impressive run uh, down in Indianapolis. So he's getting to that age where like it's it's time for a player like him to, to come up and kind of show what he has. You know, he's 24. I think he'll be 25 um, at some point this year. And in Indianapolis, he's thrown six and two-thirds innings. Um, he's striking out about a batter in inning. His K per nine is 8.9. Um, his walks per nine on the total opposite end of the Francisco Liriano spectrum as it stands um, he's walking 0.88 batters per nine. Greg Max, like, yeah, I mean, his, it's been absolutely stunning. His ERA is 2.04 and his FIP is actually 1.91. Um, so he's, <clears throat> he has uh, a better FIP than he does ERA, which is, uh, surprising to see when you have an ERA that low. So I, I think Talion's to me would make the most sense when you consider his age. Um, you know, his, his time in the minors, you know, he's been, in the minors since 2011. Um, so if Liriano does hit the shelf, I think Talion makes a good fit. And then if you can get Liriano back on track, then when he would come off the DL, you know, maybe move uh, Juan Nicasio to the bullpen in that 
that kind of like long relief role. Former Sun candidate. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think the Juan Nicasio Cy Young thermometer is bottomed out. It's broke. I th- <laughs> it's not. Yeah. The mercury is not rising in that thermometer anymore. <laughs> um. So that's that's kind of where we're at with the pitching staff. It really. The pitching has been. I think really just kind of letting the pirates down as far as these games go. Their offense has really been clicking. Now we went through a kind of a rough week this week where the offense, um, you know, got shut down by the Marlins, um, after the first game in the series when they put up 10 runs. Um, but for the most part this season, the offense has really been firing on all cylinders. Um, kind of focusing on Indianapolis while we're talking about Talion and Glasnow. Um, the pirates have another pitcher down in Indianapolis who has been, lights out uh and that's chad cole uh he's had 10 starts in triple a indy he's thrown 58 innings not like a big strikeout guy he's more like that heavy sinker ball kind of guy um he has 46 strikeouts in his 58 innings he's only walked nine he has a 1.24 era a 0.85 whip um he's yeah he's having a great year in indianapolis so like i said he throws a heavy sinker um, the Pirates had him develop a slider and a, a changeup, um, which are both kind of average offerings. He projects, I guess, to be more of a back-end starter because really his elite pitch, or his plus pitch, I guess I shouldn't say elite, his plus pitch is that that, that heavy sinker. And the slider and change are just more kind of like eh, average offerings, you know, just a, a different look for guys. But, you know, he's in the right organization for a ground ball heavy kind of pitcher to... Uh, oh, yeah. you know, to be developed in, I guess. So, I mean, I could even see a guy like Cole coming up and getting a shot if, you know, Pittsburgh needs uh, needs those reinforcements, if if things in the rotation are really getting that bad. Um, and then maybe eventually sliding into the bullpen if, you know, the starting thing doesn't work out. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's made Pirates games tough to watch this year because I'm used to the you know, for the last couple of years, the pitching kind of being like the lights out part of the, the team. Um, and now we're kind of blowing games late or, you know, we're getting blown out to start the game and not even getting a chance to really even be in the game from the beginning. So it's been an adjustment trying to, to watch the pitching struggle and work their way through this. But Saturday, the pirates had to make several roster moves, um, to kind of accommodate their need for these fresh arms that they have been burning through pretty quickly in these games. Uh, they recalled lefty Corey Lubke, whom we are familiar with from earlier in the season mm-hmm. when things did not go so great for him. Um, and they selected uh, Curtis Parch from AAA Indianapolis as well. For those of you who aren't familiar with Parch, which most of you probably aren't, uh, he's thrown 27 and two-thirds innings uh, of relief for Indianapolis. In his 27 and two-thirds innings, struck out 32 batters, uh, walked nine, he has a 1.3 ERA and a 0.9 whip. So doing a good job keeping guys off the bases down there. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how Pittsburgh manages their bullpen today. They had to send, in order to make room for these guys, um, Wilfredo Boscon and Rob Scahill, who have like pitched really, really well for the Pirates since their uh, call-ups. Um, they were both optioned to Indianapolis. Um, Boscon threw 12 and a third innings for the Pirates when he was up with a 2.92 ERA. Scahill had a 3.18 ERA in his 11 and a third innings. Hurdle said that, you know, it wasn't something that they did. It wasn't based on their performance. It was literally just based on the need that Pittsburgh needs arms 
fresh arms that can pitch. Um, and <clears throat> that was kind of the, the fuel for making that move. Um, which I can imagine probably doesn't sit well with those guys. You know what I mean? Could you imagine being a kid, <laughs> like a kid and you get called up and you're pitching like well by all accounts and then you have to get sent back to Indianapolis just because you pitched the last couple of days? Seems almost unfair, doesn't it? It does. Or if you're hitting like round 300 like Tyler Naquin and get optioned back to Columbus again. Oh, that one that one stung. Although I can't wait to talk more about Naquin when we get to Oh, Columbus. yeah. We'll get to him later. My Naquin swooning is I, – I love Naquin. Um, so, yeah, uh, to make room for Parch on the 40-man roster, though, uh, the Pirates uh, had to put Ryan Vogelsong on the 60-day DL um, after he was hit in the face um, by that pitch earlier in May. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it was back in May. Um, he had a bunch of facial fractures, and he underwent surgery to repair those fractures this week. So, um, definitely a, a rough uh, month for the Pirates pitching when you you look at everything that kind of went down and, and the way that it happened. But nice to hear that Vogel song is on the mend at least and and working his way back to getting healthy. Now, speaking of health, that's something that's kind of been dogging the Pirates for the last couple days um, with their position players. Going back to the hit by pitches, and you know it's tough with the sequence of events that happens to to know who's in the right and who's in the wrong and what's happening intentionally and unintentionally. But man, in that Miami series, Francisco Cervelli got hit on the foot by a pitch. David Freeze, I think, got Freeze got hit on the hand maybe, and Mercer got hit on the elbow. And I thought, man, when Mercer Mercer got drilled by like a 94 mile an hour fastball. And, you know, like most baseball players have the oh, don't rub it kind of mentality. <laughs> you, know, you saw Jordy Mercer like go right for the arm and he's jumping up and down and you're like, oh, that's not good. That is not good. And uh, I don't know. It, he ended up being all right. He was back in the lineup Saturday. Um, but, man, it was a it was a tough <laughs> it was a tough series to watch in Miami. We had guys dropping left and right. Cervelli, after he got hit, tried to stay in the game. And. He came out like mid inning, you know, you could, you could tell like Stewart had all of his gear on and he came out to replace him. And so you could tell he must've told someone like, I'm going to go out and try, but make sure Stewart's ready. And yeah, it was the middle of the inning. You could tell Cervelli just was so uncomfortable behind the plate that they had to bring Stewart out there. Um, and then like Stewart got hit by one of, I think it was uh, Wilfredo Boscan's pitch uh, on Friday night. Like, man, it's just, everybody is getting like dinged up and more than just like nicks and bruises. I mean, it's like hit to the point where they're wondering like, ah, can I keep going like this? Um, Freese's hand ended up being okay. He said the bruising made it difficult to grip a bat, but um, it's, it's getting better. So it's kind of like just a, uh, like a triage in Pittsburgh right now. We really need Dr. Garrett <laughs> on the line to tell us whether this team is going to survive the season. That's what we need. Um, I guess transitioning from that to a one of the brighter spots of Pittsburgh's uh, season, it's been surprisingly an outfielder who doesn't play all the time, who's kind of taken the role of Travis Snyder in years past, and that man that I'm talking about, Bob, Matt Joyce. Yes. I just saw a stat this morning about Matt Joyce, how, was it, Willie Stargell has the most pinch hit RBIs in one season for the Pirates with 16 and Matt Joyce already has 10 this season. <laughs> it's, it's been an awesome season for Matt Joyce. 
I was just talking to, you know, like some of our friends who are, were all Pirates fans the other day. And I said, Matt Joyce is the outfield bench bat that Travis Snyder always wanted to be. It's, it's been amazing watching him come in. He's hitting his triple slash this year, 324, 429, 632, five homers in all in 85 plate appearances. Um, the K's and the walks are, you know, they're going right together. He has 15 strikeouts, 16 walks. He's outpacing himself, his strikeouts with his walks. And he's already provided 1.1 wins above replacement. That's pretty incredible for such a few amount of plate appearances. For 85 plate appearances. That's a, that is a season that he's had for, a, like you know, Madison Bumgarner-esque. Yeah, it is. Yeah. He is, he is our team's Madison Bumgarner. Yes. <laughs> well done, Bob. <laughs> um, so Matt Joyce has been a great, great off season signing for the pirates. Um, really he's playing to his potential, whatever that is. He's definitely outpacing himself for sure. Um, last thing I want to talk about before we talk about the Indians, um, I want to talk about Mitch Keller, who's been a, a farmhand that we've been keeping an eye on um, this season. He's been flat out dominant for the West Virginia power this year. Um, his last outing was on May 31st against the Lakewood Blue Claws, who I believe, are they the twins? Is that who they go to? The Blue Claws? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I'm yeah. Let, let this up. Why don't you go? Why don't you go and Google that while I keep I talking about this. how amazing Mitch Keller is? Um, yeah, Mitch Keller, his last start against the Blue Claws, threw six innings, struck out six, walked one, and gave up one hit. I think he had a hit batsman in that game too. So, an amazing game. He did all of that on 83 pitches. Uh, so far as his season line stands, he has 57 innings pitched with a 1.89 ERA. 64 strikeouts in those 57 innings. Only five walks, Bob. Five wow. walks in 57 innings. A .74 whip and a 184 average against. So Mitch Keller continuing to dominate for the West Virginia power. Um, I would assume at some point he's probably got to get a bump up to Bradenton um, to kind of put him on pace to, to get to Altoona next year because yeah. this season's been amazing. The Lakeland, sorry, Lakewood Blue Claws are the affiliate of the Philadelphia Phillies. Phillies, okay. Yeah, so he's uh, Mitch Keller having quite the year for the West for the West Virginia Power so far. So definitely keep an eye on him down there. It's it's been uh, a fun year, kind of watching his numbers as they progress through the year. So that's it for me for the Pirates, Bob. You ready to talk about the Tribe? Oh yeah. Oh, I'm excited about this. What's been going on in Cleveland, Bob? Well, I guess. Let's sort of back up a little bit because it's been some time, you know, since we discussed some baseball. And uh, I had the pleasure, a sort of a last-minute trip last weekend to go to Cleveland on Sunday <clears throat> to watch Clevenger's uh, outing against the Baltimore Orioles. Did not fare so well. But the cool thing about that outing was going, sorry, going over to Cleveland was my buddy Adam and I, and I was saying to Adam, you know, this is the first time Cleveland's been in first place since three years ago. It's like, wow, really? It's like, yeah. We had a half-game lead on first place. Well, Cleveland subsequently lost that game by a score of 6-4. to four. Mark Trumbo hit a absolute rocket of a laser off left field wall of Clevenger base load in the first inning. So he had a short outing, and then he'd be optioned later on in the week back to Columbus. But then Texas came in town and just steamrolled Cleveland on Monday, and then again on 
Tuesday. And then Wednesday, Bauer actually kept them in check and got an edge out of win 5-4. What's been fascinating since then is they've taken three of the first four games against the former first-place Royals, as Cleveland now, the win last night, is a half game back in first place again. Winning them when they count, huh? Yes. But obviously some big news occurred beginning the week when, for the second time this season, the Indians have lost another outfielder to a PED suspension. <laughs> this case, it was the, what, 38-year-old Marlon Bird, who ironically, or maybe not ironically, was starting to find his groove at the plate. <laughs> yeah, I think when you say ironically, you say ironically sarcastically, because yes. <laughs> Marlon Bird's already been tagged for PEDs. <laughs> In, in his career, he has, a, what was it, a 50-game suspension under his belt already? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I tweeted out the other day, and this is truly how I feel about this, but the, the cost-benefit analysis for taking steroids, there is way more benefit to taking steroids and prolonging your career or making yourself better uh, than there are the cost of being caught and suspended. You know what I mean? Like, Marlon Bird has made millions of dollars off his PED use. Well, no better person to ask than Ryan Braun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you too last weekend for one game, uh, Cleveland had an option in the struggling Kyle Crockett back to Columbus and recalled Austin Adams for the bullpen. At that point in the transactions, that left Cleveland with not a single person in the bullpen who throws left-handed for one game. That had to make Tito sweating bullets that day. <laughs> I imagine him storming into someone's office and saying, do you realize what you've done? Yeah. But soon after, though, they would recall Ryan Merritt, and he made his debut this past week. I think he pitched four innings, actually, of ball without allowing a run. He's been since optioned back to Columbus, but he had a nice debut in relief. Cody Anderson pitched very well. Uh, I guess White Sox last time out, which was nice to see. They had recalled Sean Armstrong for the bullpen, but he's now sent back down to Columbus. And more recently, obviously they placed Marlon Bird on a restricted list due to suspension. And here's a name for you. On June 1st, the tribe took the contract of Tom Gorsliani. Ooh, Gorsi. Yes. There's that lefty that Tito was missing. There you go. And also on the, on uh, June 1st, our fan favorite here on the podcast, Tyler Naquin. Was there he is. There he is. For the third time this season. My so, BFF, Tyler Naquin. Yeah. Gorzo made his debut, I want to say. Uh, it was, yeah, on the 1st against Texas. He actually got the win, actually. He's had a great One resurgence in his career. And got the win. The the second act of Gorzolani's career as a reliever, like he's been... A Not solid bad. relief pitcher. Yep, he really has. Uh, Carrasco came back, made his uh, return against the Royals on Thursday. He went six, oh, sorry, five innings, allowed nine hits. More hits to be going to see, obviously. Three earned a walk and two strikeouts, but it's good to see him back in action again. Obviously, help out the bullpen. Or, sorry, rotation. Jeez. Which, in turn, could help out the bullpen. <laughs> yes, right, exactly. That effect. Um, so really, Cleveland now is scoring a lot of runs recently. They uh, put up 
in the last three games, they've won 7-1, 6-1, and 5-4. They're actually averaging as a team. This is pretty healthy. I just had this number up there, and I lost it. It's almost, almost about five runs a game, like 4.83, I think it was. And the rotation ERA, or sorry, rotation pitching, pitching ERA overall is now at 3.86. But their fifth though is at 4.00, but not bad, though. Yeah. And hit a lot of home runs recently, too. A lot of home runs. Naquin. Our man. Now this is what I this is home run. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. He hit his second home run last night. I I know that this is just like beating a dead horse for us, but I really think Tyler Naquin has a chance to be you know not like a not like a Hall of Fame type of player, but like a very good player. Right. And there's a quote Tyler Naquin's peak, I think, is like an all star level player. A, oh, I think know. so. I mean, he already gives you he gives you value defensively. Right. He's got a strong arm. He plays primarily center field, but I'm sure he can slide over to left or right. And his bat has been growing. His patience has been shown at the plate. And he actually believes, in his article quoted in the Plain Dealer a while back, talking to Indians hitting coach, that Burkio, Tyler Van Burkio, if that's his name, that he expects himself to hit 20 home runs a season in the future. Yeah, so that's kind of how he's developing himself at the plate. He's looking at himself as like a 20 home run kind of player. Yeah. Which, you know, if you're hitting a lot of line drives. Right. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a reasonable expectation, I think. And I say about him, too, he makes a lot of, makes a lot of solid contact. This is going to hit probably what, eighth, ninth in the order. That's a nice player to have in, the, in your lineup. His scouting report, like, I've, you can go back and you can look at them. T- Tyler Naquin's scouting report looks a lot like Michael Brantley's, you know, before Brantley became a major league baseball player. Right. They're eerily similar scouting reports as far as their approach at the plate, their style of hitting. He went to bank tells in college also, which is nice. Yeah. So he has, I mean, yeah, the first round pick, he has the pedigree to be a good ball player for sure. They're a big plus so far this season. I mean, obviously I want to point out that if you did not see it, Go on Indians.com videos and watch the play made last night. Uh, Kendrick Morales was hitting in the ninth inning. It's a ground ball, sort of up the middle in a way. Lindor, because the shift was playing like a second baseman, dives to his right, gets the ball, gets himself up a little bit, flips it to Jose Ramirez, who's playing third base, and then tosses it to the first base for the out. It was incredible. Francisco Lindor is literally the best. He's so much fun to watch. He's a ton of fun. Just stay healthy. He's worth the price of admission to going to an Indians game just by himself. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. There's if you go to an Indians game and Lindor is playing, there's a good chance that you're going to see something amazing happening. Just so smooth. He is. I know we talked about this before we were recording, but he his defense reminds me so much of Omar Vizquel. And that's not even being hyperbolic. <laughs> so how about this? Let me ask you this question. If you were to be given the, the question of who would you choose to be the Indians team MVP at this point in the year, who would you pick offensively? <sighs> that's a good question. I mean, the first thought that pops into my head is Lindor. Like Lindor is the first name that pops into my head when I think about 
even like when you say like who is the best player on the Indians right now, I think I really think it's you could make a case for Francisco Lindor. He doesn't do it, you know, obviously he's not hitting like tons of home runs. I think he has what? Like he had his fourth or fifth home run the other day. Mm-hmm. Um but you know he's hitting for average. And that's not like something that's kind of fluky either. You know what I mean? Like you know, he steals bases. I think he has like ten stolen bases already. Um like I, I really think you could make a case for Lindor. He he doesn't strike out a ton. You know, he's right. walking at a decent clip. His on base percentage I think is like three sixty four or something like that. Um, okay. So let's play the guess who this player is. Okay. Currently he's hitting three seventeen with an on base percentage of three eighty seven, slugging four sixty, has a nine point three percent walk rate. A K rate that's less than 8.8%. He has hit three home runs, scored 26 runs, driven in 20, stolen five bases, has a war of 1.8. All that and only a war of 1.8, huh? Yes. Well, I was going to say Carlos Santana until I heard the batting average, and then I knew that was... (laughs) That one's out. Um, Positions played, they'll give it away. If I had to guess, uh, 317. I don't know. You know, Jose Ramirez has been playing really well this ding, season. Ding, ding. Is it Jose Ramirez? Jose Ramirez. <laughs> yeah, okay. Like, my point about him is how valuable has he been in this season? Oh, yeah. He's having a great year. He's having a fantastic year. He, people were talking about him being a possible all-star candidate. He's been phenomenal. Third base, second base, shortstop, left field. What was his on-base percentage again? 387. Yeah, that's amazing. He's not striking out that much. Walking at a decent clip. His offensive rating, I guess, on Fangrass is like 8.2. Defensive value is coming up strong. There's a 1.8 war. It's not that bad. Only 48 games and 182 play appearances. Yeah, so, I mean, you're talking, you know, he has, you know, he's five or six games shorter than all the other starters, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's pretty impressive. So he's always been one of my fan favorites. So I'm glad to see him doing well. Yeah, we're big fans of Jose Ramirez. Oh yeah, State. We like Jose. We were very uh, sad about Jose Ramirez's season last year. <laughs> so <laughs> it's yeah. good. It's good to be happy about his season this year. Yeah. <laughs> A quick update in the minor league system. Um, Bradley Zimmer, who has some ridiculous numbers this year in Akron, in 49 games he's hit nine home runs, stolen a whopping 20 bases. But he's only hitting 231 in his last 10 games. He's hitting a mark of 162. In his last 37 at bats, he struck out 15 times. Oy. So I'm guessing he is scuffling at the moment, but he'll, I'm sure he'll figure it out. Now, on the other hand, my redheaded friend Clint Frazier, Ooh. in his last 10 games, is hitting a smoking 371. So the exact opposite of Bradley Zimmer. <laughs> right. Zimmer Zimmer cools down, Frazier heats up. Yeah, but Akron, man, they are just on fire this season. Yeah, and we'll talk about that when we get to the Seawolves, but yeah, yeah. they are killing the Eastern League right now. <laughs> and then the last update I had really for the Indians is um, Jordan Bastian, who covers the Tribe, obviously, for MLB.com, had a quote from Brad Grant, the Indians director of amateur scouting, Regarding Brady Aiken, 
and said Brady's doing great. He's progressing and should be in similar games here soon. Should be up on the mound in the next month or so and throwing in real games. All reports have been really good. It's been really encouraging that he's commanding his fastball very well. That's the last thing that comes back from Tommy John. All reports have been that he's almost advanced on that already. So hopefully, I mean, we can hope and pray, being the Western PA, that he might make a debut sometime, perhaps in the Hunting Valley later on in the summer, which would be fantastic. I'm sure one of us will, or both of us will attend that game. Yeah, that would be, yeah. Go see Brady Aiken pitch for five yeah. bucks. That's a... <laughs> That's a bargain. Yeah, that's a good deal. Yeah, that'd be great if he made it to uh, Mahoning Valley this year. We had a chance to watch him. Yeah. So who knows? I'm probably guess, guessing Arizona Rookie League would be another option, but I'm hoping and praying that it'd be Mahoning Valley. Yeah, that's for sure. Okay, anything else we want to talk about with the Tribe before we wrap up? Just that uh, Corey Kluber's on the mound today, going for the sweep of the Royals. Come on, Klubot. All right. So uh, let's go Tribe. Let's go Tribe. You ready to talk about the Seawolves? Yes. Then we'll wrap this thing up. Everybody can go on with their day. <laughs> uh, the Seawolves, after last night, are currently 22-34. and 34. They are 16 and a half games back of the league-pacing Akron Rubber Ducks. Akron's team is ridiculous. Um, yeah, they're 38-17 and 17 right now. Yeah, that's, they're so good. <laughs> And you know what, sadly, and we'll we'll get to the schedule in a minute, but your first chance to see Akron at home in Erie is still not until the end of the month. Right. Um, so we're still anxiously anticipating the first game when Akron will come through town. And hopefully all the players that we want to see will still be there at that time. Because <laughs> yes. at this pace, I might not be surprised if some of them are still not on Akron's roster when they get there. Um, but for the Seawolves this year, uh, we've been talking about Dean Green all season long. Dean Green is continuing to have an historic season for the Seawolves. It's it's kind of ridiculous the year he's having. He's putting up some amazing numbers. Uh, Friday night, he belted his 11th home run of the season against the Trenton Thunder. Uh, line drive shot um, over the wall and right. It was a three-run homer. Uh, it gave him a minor league leading 51 RBI as of Friday night. He currently has 52 just to kind of put that in perspective, Dylan Cozens of the Reading Fighting Phils is second in the league with 45 RBI. So Dean Green is uh, doing all right for himself. Yes, he is. He's, he's doing all right. Uh, his triple slash at the plate, uh, triple slashing 268, 332, 492. Um, so it's definitely a season worth watching. When you're going to see the Seawolves, Dean Green's at bats are ones that you uh, you want to pay attention to. Um, kind of continuing on with some other hot hitters, Jacoby Jones is back in the lineup after his suspension, and he's instantly one of the most exciting Seawolves to watch. Uh, the former Pirates farmhand um, is an infielder for the Seawolves. He's already hitting uh, 301, 388, 589 in just 73 at-bats. Um, 22 strikeouts to 10 walks, but a lot of fun to watch. Last night, I think in the... They have a doubleheader last night? Yeah, they had... A, doubleheader last night so in the second game of the doubleheader he had i think he had a three rbi last night um so when you go to the ballpark jacoby jones is definitely one that you want to keep your eye on as well um former erie seawolf matt kraus was promoted to toledo may 26th um drew verhagen was placed on the seven day dl by toledo uh, to make room for kraus he's done well in his two starts for toledo he's thrown 11 and a third innings uh, 1.59 era and 
uh, nine strikeouts to four walks. So uh, good to see Matt Kraus um, pitching well after his uh, time in Erie. So the schedule upcoming for the Seawolves. They actually, they'll finish up with Trenton today um, at Trenton. And then the Seawolves come home tomorrow for another homestand against Altoona, four games again. Ooh, all right. All 7.05 starts, so I might be going to four games this week. We'll see. Maybe I'll meet you up there sometime. Yeah. Yeah, unless unless that pesky kid of mine uh, decides to show up. <laughs> then I might not make it to all four. But, uh, yeah, so four games against Altoona this week. Austin Meadows, uh, after his kind of slow start uh, from his uh, orbital fracture, playing really well for Altoona. Um, so... Good to see the uh, curve coming into town. They'll have a uh, homestand this weekend uh, against Trenton again. Then they have an off day the 13th next Monday uh, before traveling to Akron. So they play at Akron. And then, like I said, their first homestand against Akron is going to start on the 30th of June. So you might want to mark that one down on your calendars and try and uh, make it there before uh, Clint Frazier and Bradley Zimmer are no longer with the rubber ducks. <laughs> so uh, I think that's it for the Seawolves. Anything else we want to add about the Seawolves? No, I think that's it too. That's it. We, I, I can't say this enough. I mean, I know it's, I sound like a, I sound like John Adams just beating the drum repeatedly, but the Seawolves experience is one of the best minor league experiences I think you'll have in all of baseball. Um, you know, great ticket prices. Buck nights are, are great. So get out there tomorrow night for buck night, dollar hot dogs, dollar beer, if they have enough hot dogs at the end of the game and not enough people, they might even be 50 cent hot dogs. <laughs> Two for one. <laughs> oh, man, at that point, you're just kind of like a fool not to buy the hot dog. That's what that's what I learned. I did not even want that hot dog, Bob, but it was 50 cents, so I had to eat it. So we each had one then. That's <laughs> yeah, You're just you're a fool not to. I kind of wanted to ask the guy if I could just buy one hot dog and just give him 50 cents. <laughs> or maybe give him a one and see if he'd make change for me. <laughs> I just want one, not two. <laughs> yeah, so uh, get out to the park. It's a howl of a good time, as the old commercials would say. <laughs> I can't take credit for that. That was not my marketing idea. Although I feel like it would have been my idea had I been in marketing for the Seawolves at that time. That seems like something I would have come up with. But I can't, I can't take credit for it. That was somebody else. All right, well, that's going to wrap us up for today. Uh, we'd like to again thank our listeners and ask if you're listening to us on iTunes that you give us a rate and review. Uh, we're podcasting fairly frequently. I had to miss last week because we had diaper parties and other things going on, so it was a hectic week last week, but we're on our weekly schedule now, so keep your ears around for our next podcast. In the meantime, you can check us out on the web at www.tsmbaseball.com. You can email us, tristatebb at tsmbaseball.com. You can follow us on the Twitter at tristatebb. And you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash baseball. So for Bob Finkbeiner, this is Andy Burdick, and we look forward to talking to you soon. Here in the States, you can't hit someone with a baseball bat in jest.